This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. Today, we're starting a new series, so to speak, for Driving Outcomes, where we're focused on government. And today, I have the pleasure of having Ashley Stryker joining us today. And she's actually going to act as host today. Normally, I'm the host, but (laughs) today, I'm actually going to be the one that gets interviewed and uh, off the discussion. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to you, Ashley. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Tracy. I'm really excited to be here. Um, Tracy's been absolutely incredible and and opening my eyes into how to truly make not just insights, but decisions that actually matter based on your own data. And just it's it's been really incredible to work with you, Tracy. So thank you again for for letting me join you today. Um, So as we record today, it is the 1st of December. I hope it's warmer with you than it is where I am. <laughs> it is. Um, and, and I know that it's basically the top of the fiscal year 2022 for our government agency friends. And, and so um, there's a huge amount of fiscal pressure on a lot of our agencies right now. There's a lot of buzz about another possible shutdown because, of course, they only gave us an extension for two months because they like working to the last minute. Um in the distance, though, there are, there are even grander conversations specifically about data that transcend not just this administration, but even the previous one. So could you talk for a minute about what I consider to be an even greater looming problem beyond even the budget crisis that might be coming, which is how in the world are agency listeners possibly supposed to reconcile current and future mandates when they've already been handed to without an instruction book. Yeah. And I think, well, I think the biggest task that's set aside, that's set in front of everybody right around the world is how do we lead and what do we do moving forward and how do we make clear decisions and really motivate and implement and execute. Right. And so what you're talking about is obviously with the change in administration, a lot of people movement, a lot of like changes in direction and leadership. And everyone's kind of been talking a lot about data as being the the answer, right? The solution to really like, if we get really clear on what the data says and what it doesn't say, then maybe we'll have a better understanding of how we need to operate and what we need to do moving forward. But even more importantly than that, even when individuals understand how data could be useful or helpful, it's like, okay, where do I start? right? Like (laughs) that in and of itself is overwhelming when you just talk about, well, what type of data, Um, everything and anything, or like, how do I limit the world by which I'm supposed to operate in, right? So I think really what's set, the task that's set before a lot of leadership across government is how or what do I do around data and what data do I look at and who are the data experts out there, right? You have data scientists, you have statisticians, you have researchers, you have a lot of people who can aggregate and analyze a lot of complex um, situations and analyses, but 
how do we really like, for lack of a better word, because I don't usually like using this, but how do you dumb it down or make it more simple, right? For everyone mm-hmm. to really understand and get comfortable with data, because let's be honest, not everyone is comfortable with numbers. I, I always say that's the odd thing about me owning and running an evaluation company is I actually am a qualitative person, right? I, <laughs> I, I ran from numbers and always run from numbers. And so I think that that's kind of um, an interesting attribute about myself, but it's really getting comfortable around numbers and really getting comfortable with quantitative information. And I think what people, what I like to tell people is data is really information. Don't think of it as numbers. Don't think of it as anything other than information. How do we deal with information in our day-to-day lives, right? We're always making decisions about anything from what we wear to when we eat, right? It's We're constantly processing information. And so just taking that on a grander scale, I think with the government, it's really around conversations around evidence-based policy making. Like we get really robust in our language, but it's really no more than, okay, what information do we really need to look at and really understand and evaluate? But more importantly, if we're clear around what we're trying to actually accomplish, what are the outcomes and the things we want to see changed and work backwards from there, we can then establish a framework for how we're going to use information and that by nature of itself is how we're going to accomplish what's been set in front of us. So that's huge. So that's amazing. So, so government agencies then can make data driven decisions by considering what it is in the world they've been tasked to do, what, what their overall mandate and goals are um, <clears throat> laid down by, by lawmakers and funded by taxpayers and figure out where they are and then use data and data instruments to evaluate how well they're doing and getting there. And it's not just numbers you say, but qualitative data. Uh, so can you, can you talk more about how qualitative data can be used to make poly- data-driven decisions? Because I, I mean, as somebody coming from the outside, it feels like statistics and numbers are all the exclusive, that, that feels like real data, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so how can you use qualitative data to make evidence founded decisions that would would be efficacious and justified? Well, so for a lot of my colleagues, when they're asking open ended questions, right, as part of um, either their survey analysis or their focus groups or their interviews, right, they're identifying certain themes right? And based on those themes, they'll code those themes and they'll incorporate those coded numbers in with the quantitative data, right? So therefore, when they're looking at things from a statistical standpoint, everything is quantitative in nature, but that input has been, has also been complemented by qualitative input, right? And that's really kind of hard to conceptually understand at first when I was talking about or learning about it, I was like, wait a minute, how do you code thematic themes, like talk me through that, right? But it's it's an interesting concept because if you think about it, when you just think about customer surveys in general, that's the closest thing that I think a lot of us can identify from. They'll ask open-ended questions like, how did you feel about this product? What did you think about this, right? And we all just like, dump, we just write whatever we think, right? And there's no rhyme or reason. And then somebody's supposed to process that or somebody's supposed to take that input and somehow assimilate that with other information they've been provided. But if you think about it from a thematic standpoint, it's not taking all of what one person has shared, but there's a common theme and there's specific detail that's helpful. By coding that, you're then incorporating it with the quantitative data, 
you'll share some of that specific detail, right? Because the devil in the details, right? That is important to acknowledge and be aware of, but at least from a qualification standpoint or quantification standpoint, it's included in that. So to and continue, I'm always impressed your- by our colleagues, my colleagues, because I always joke, they're the brains of the operation in terms of really <laughs> knowing how to do this, like with their um, PhDs and, and background in statistics and research, they know how to do this. And I'm always thoroughly impressed and learning something every day from them because uh, there is an art and a science that goes along with that. To continue your analogy then of a, a customer service survey, for example, and you were asked, well, how was your experience at the store today? Would it be, uh, you could code in responses like um, the hours weren't long enough, so it was closed when I got there and different iterations of that. If you started to see that more and more people, like there was a pattern developing kind of thing. Exactly. So they're identifying those patterns and they're identifying like commonalities, right? But they're also synthesizing that with other information around like gaps, right? So think a lot of what they're doing is statistics and high level statistics and just the practice of how do you, what's that framework, that mindset that you need to analyze data to really put it in certain buckets and really understand its placement so that you know what's missing, what's going well, what's not going well, and what do you need to change or do differently, right? And that framework, I always refer to it as a data framework. It's not only just a mindset, but it's a practice, right? And that practice is what helps make the assimilation of data easier to understand and apply because you're not just trying to take the whole universe of information and somehow assimilate it through your head and hope that you're going to be able to account for all the anomalies and all of the changes and everything, right? And then obviously I always say it's a mindset too because we have technology. There's a lot of technology tools that have metrics. They have data embedded in it, right? But the challenge has always been from an application of technology standpoint is you're being provided those metrics and those outcomes and they're being defined for you already, which yes, it does make your job easier and simplifies it. But what if those are the things you don't want to measure? What if those are the things you don't want to achieve? And that's usually the limitation of technology is you've now been limited by certain things. So one thing that I always advocate for is Think through that data framework first in practice of how you want it applied, what you're trying to measure, how you're going to achieve it, um, understand the fundamentals, then go look for the technology that can support aspects of that, but support what it is you're trying to accomplish rather than do it the other way. And a lot of people tend to go to the technology first. Or they also try to go out there and just collect all kinds of information in general. <laughs> and so then you have not only the technology ruling things and the challenges with that, but you also inundated with, I can't tell the difference between what's good information or good data and really like critical data and information. And now I'm totally just swimming in this like ocean of information and I'm even more overwhelmed than maybe when I started, right? So again, it's a mindset and that framework and that thinking and that process and that system that's really critical, and then finding the tools, the supportive tools that can accelerate. The technology is great for agility. It's great to accelerate. It's great for building capacity when you don't have enough people to do something, right? But you need to understand what you're trying to accomplish first. I feel like government agencies in particular would be particularly susceptible to gathering all of the information first and 
literally asking questions later on uh, on what they should be looking for. So if an agency then, and I would suspect just due to the bureaucracy of government, this is probably the case for most every department. Let's pretend they've been gathering information since the dawn of time, or at least 1776. And they now are sitting on this treasure trove of information and they've been told, okay, you have the data. Now you have to go make decisions based on that. And they literally just look at this and they can't tell if they're looking at gold or if they're looking at a pile of nothing. Where would you suggest agencies start first in trying to take that first ant bite of the elephant hill? Well, they have, to your point, they have access to a lot of information, right? Because we work with a lot of um universities that are essentially subcontractors or grant recipients of the federal agencies, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that we do is reporting back specific um, information or data related to certain programs or initiatives that the government, the federal government is running, right? So to your point, they have access to all these pieces of information. And many of the agencies also have their own internal evaluators or departments where they're physically um, looking at this information. I think a great partnership between both the private sector and the public sector would be, you know, working with a party like ours where we're seeing things from a different perspective. We're seeing it across projects, across programs, and being able to collaborate with government agencies to be like, hey, you have access to all this data and information. Let us join you in looking at that information and let us come up with a internal framework specific to the agency you work for, the department you work for, and understanding what the mission and the bigger long-term outcomes of what you're trying to achieve and align that with the information and the recipients that we're seeing and we're working with. When you're doing that, right, when you're innovating and you're collaborating both public and private sector together, it's really powerful because now you're sharing insights around what you're seeing across the board and you're also able to kind of troubleshoot around some of the common issues that are occurring that the government has access to the information, but it's so granular that they can't see it because they're not in it, like on the ground working with that, unlike ourselves or working with like the grant recipients, for instance. So it's connecting those dots. And I think a lot of it is not necessarily reinventing the wheel. It's using what you have already in place and it's getting better at the systems and processes and the collaboration and the decision-making around that first. Then once you've got a strong grasp of that, then it's then identifying, okay, what more information could we use or what more information do we need? Whereas oftentimes what I see happening is because we're in this really stressful, like pressure oriented timeframe for private sector, public sector, doesn't matter who or what you work for, we're all in this together, right? truly. Um, we're automatically jumping to think that we need more information to gain clarity. And I don't think that's it. I think we have to use what we have, truly get clarity around what we do have already and what's working, what's not working based on that current information, and then move forward and figure out what else we need to assess. Right. But for, for whatever reason, we naturally as human beings are like, no, we need more information. <laughs> like <laughs> we need the latest and greatest. We don't have 
the information on this pandemic. So therefore we need to go out and collect it. And don't get me wrong, there is definitely a gap because there's a significant change and shift that's gone on, right? Um, just in this last two years, that's going to determine the future of the next couple decades from here. So I do agree that there is information that needs to be layered on, but because we don't even have a strong grasp of what's been happening up till now, how can we go out there and start making it worse for ourselves by going out there and, and getting more information. And I think that's where, you know, I've seen, there was an article on Monday that Route 50 mentioned um, for LA County in particular, they're looking more closely at like financial data and they're looking more closely at, you know, a lot of cities and local governments, even the federal government are looking at a lot of equity analyses, which is based on data, right? But it's also based on historical data of what's happened, what hasn't happened, what's missing, what needs to change. And I think that focus in terms of accountability and transparency will only grow because people now know where dollars are going, where are resources being attributed and move and allocated towards what? And how is it benefiting certain people or not benefiting certain people? And what could we do differently based on that information? And it's, like I said, that's getting more clear about one's existing information and data internal to an organization, internal to an agency, without necessarily having to automatically go to the first step of collecting more information or um, more data. And that's not to say that we don't do that for clients. But we usually like to tell them, like, start first with what you've got and then move to that data collection process of layering on. But once you understand what you've got, then you can make better decisions. We do the same thing. Um, but at Alanis Marketing, um, we often start with, well, where's your baseline? What's, what's your foundational? Because we can't show change over time. We can't even tell if it has changed, good or bad, until we establish your foundational benchmark. You have to know where you are to tell whether or not you're meeting where you should be and, and to know where you're going to get there. Um, so it's uh, really good at that. They have like when we've worked in terms of evaluation, there are baseline studies to your mm -hmm. point. And then there are like annual reports that get reported on an annual basis over a three to five year time period, depending on, um, you know, one of our clients grant period. And they're looking at that information to see whether or not they continue to fund this project in a subsequent cycle or, hey, what needs to change year over year? And I think it's just applying that same fundamental on a grander scale and kind of connecting the dots because this is happening on the ground with a lot of like the grant recipients and the recipients that are receiving the money, right? As an accountability and transparency tool with the funder right. who is the federal government but now what's missing is like the policy making side of it and the mission and the outcomes that the agencies need to drive that needs to align with that on the ground type data so that it's better connected because the agency as a funder also is the one that's driving what um, the grant recipients experience. So I know one of the challenges for government right now is, hey, you know, we may not be getting as many it varies depending on who you talk to, right? But we may not be getting as many um, submissions or proposal submissions compared to what we did in the past, or the quality seems to have changed. I wonder why that is. 
And I think there are a lot of different factors for that. One, it has to do with communication. The other has to do with the level of effort that goes into writing these proposals and how much um, a grant recipient may determine is a good ROI or return on investment of their time and resources, right? But I think a lot of it just comes down to sometimes the disconnect between funder and recipient. And that happens not only just in government, that happens in nonprofits, that happens in, you know, corporations that give money, that, that relationship, um, the misalignment of that information is usually what's causing a lot of the stress to both parties. And so, you know, as an evaluation firm, because we kind of are, I joke around, we're kind of the broker, we're kind of the middleman, we're kind of the <laughs> individual that can come between those two parties. We're often trying to share information with both sides so that there is better alignment and there's less anxiety and stress and friction between those two different parties when they're really working towards the same thing, right? But a lot of it, I think, is the lack of cohesion of that data being shared more cohesively between the two parties. Where are, there, where are other places within specifically government and, and policymaking agencies, do you see an opportunity for um, better decision-making informed by structured and analyzed data that they currently have? So where are the biggest opportunities for government when it comes to making policies that are driven by the data that they already have? Lowest hanging fruit. I mean, I think the lowest hanging fruit, but the biggest challenge is it's what I'm describing are multiple stakeholders, right? That are coming from different perspectives where they all need to literally be shoved in a room together and be talking to each other <laughs> to find commonalities in what they're trying to achieve in common language so that they can then all work consistently and in alignment with each other. And I say that because, you know, Within government, you have your policymakers, right? You have Congress, you have parties making policy, right? And then you have individuals along with those policymakers, along with Congress, executing that policy. But there's a dis there's a misalignment between the two because they're not necessarily in the same room, right? Understanding what each other's pain points are and really understanding those differences in perspectives so that they can now come together around a common execution point. But those that are executing, right, every in individual government employee that has to execute some kind of policy or achieve some kind of mission needs to have like a seat at that table to have input to be able to share why operationally it's challenging to do ABC that you as a leader want to accomplish, right? And so that alignment is really critical. And I think what it comes down to from a data standpoint is when you're talking about what outcomes you're trying to achieve, what objectives you're trying to achieve, it's making sure that it's not just the leaders that are driving it, but also the individuals that are executing it. They need to be able to share what are their pain points and why something is feasible or not feasible or what challenges they face so that the outcomes all align and the data that you gather around that answers and solves multiple areas of, of contention, right? And the problem with a lot of data that I see collected is it doesn't have that agility or that adaptability. It's collected in the context of whoever was making that decision for that particular initiative or project or program or whatever it may be. And so then when they're trying to involve other people in this who have to execute it, 
They're wondering why the data didn't point out certain things or why we can't actually execute what was intended. And a lot of it is because the consideration from an operation standpoint was not even thought through from the beginning and the need for that data to be adaptable where it's not just for that particular circumstance and that period in time, but it needs to connect to all other periods of times and all other projects. And again, it goes back to framework and mindset because if you've got the right framework in place, your data can be agile, it can adapt, it can evolve over time. And you're not necessarily having to regather and start from the beginning. You're just gradually evolving with it and collecting more and more information that uh, fills those gaps. And that's a lot easier to manage than trying to start from the beginning and gather everything, which I feel like that's the time period we're in. We're like running for the door. And we're like, we need to gather more data and we need more information because we need clarity. And clarity, I don't think, comes from more Clarity comes from truly understanding what you have and what you don't have, what you need, what you don't need, and then moving forward. I'd like you to imagine an agency that has done this. And if it's one of your current clients, all the better. But imagine a, a government agency or department that has managed to wrangle all of the stakeholders into one place and is starting to make sure everyone speaks the same language and is is truly being flexible in their data and and so using it to drive decisions and i and then i want you to think of a hypothetical of course agency that isn't doing that that does think that there what is the difference in the performance of the two agencies like what changes if you if you implement this sort of framework how does it benefit everybody both internally and to the taxpayer so I think in answer to your question, they're def all the agencies are working on this to different degrees, right? I definitely think that some of the smaller agencies we've worked with, we work a lot with National Science Foundation, we work with um, kind of sub agencies, right? Like NIH, uh, CDC, and like the smaller agencies that are able to kind of dissect this are also better able to mobilize their people, right? And their employees, their leadership. And they're also able to anticipate what's needed, right? Like they're all very good at coming up. NASA's really good. Like we've seen a lot of great stuff come out in the, this last month about evaluation and how they're getting clear on data and information. So like I said, I think all the agencies are working towards this. And forgive me, because I those are the only agencies that we work with. So I'm sure there's a lot of other agencies that we'd love to get to know and are doing phenomenal work in terms of trying to drive for this. But it's really those that are smaller in nature and they're kind of pausing to kind of look at things bigger picture. And they're pausing to get clear on their strategy. They're pausing to really understand like the direction of where the current administration is trying to go and what they really need to see and why. And they also are open to a lot of feedback. Like one thing that I really appreciate about the federal government right now is they're doing a lot of like sources thought, a lot of like RFIs where they want that information. And I think it's our job within the private sector and the public to really respond to that. I think, you know, the biggest challenge right now is individuals are um, very skeptical of go about government. There's, and it's very polarizing, right? Like individuals um, have different, polarized views, but it's also affecting how we get involved with government and what we do. Right. But the government is making a really strong attempt at being like, hey, tell me 
where you are, what you need, tell me this, tell me that. And so I think it's us as a public really acknowledging that effort and really reciprocating that level of effort and engaging, right? It's not not engaging. And so a lot of these smaller organizations are smaller agencies in size. I think they're successful at it because they can involve a lot more of the different stakeholders I described. They have more ability to talk to grant recipients. They have more ability to involve program managers at all levels of leadership and decision-making. And um, even like just the response when I reach out to a, an employee of the government and I say, I have this question, um, I've been really thrilled and I get really excited when they respond and they're willing to help me, <laughs> but they serve the public. I mean, you have to remember that, like they're there to serve individuals. And I'm always like thrilled to partner with the government because you're working together. You're working towards community. You're working together to try to solve things. So, you know, I think, you know, going back to your question, like it's literally the smaller agencies because they can mobilize and they have more flexibility and agility. And so for the large, you know, health and human services where the sub I guess you could say agencies are like CDC and NIH, like they're so large, right? So they're trying to break it down in smaller groups, mm -hmm. but acknowledging the silos that could automatically be created by breaking it down in smaller groups, but still involving different groups, um, I think is really important. But a lot of it too is mindset. Like the leaders, all of us as leaders, all of us as individuals have to have a growth mindset that we don't know everything. And especially right now, we know nothing, like we know nothing. So the only way we're going to all come out of this is really involve as much discussion and exchange of thought and be open to things that we've never heard or things that are hard to hear. And I think that's really where these agencies have been successful is the leadership and employees are really, really coming together and saying, we don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And we're going to talk about it. And so it doesn't matter what your function is. It doesn't matter what your responsibility is. All of us are working together. And because we're talking about it and we're sharing what our pain points are, that's how we're going to come up with a better solution. And that's the multi-stakeholder community-based approach that we really advocate for because at the end of the day, you want as much buy-in and you want as many people involved in that process. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is through this feedback loop of communication and information and process. How do you, how can a, a leader at an agency find the courage to hear those things that they never had considered previously, or maybe the things that run counter to how they thought things were? Because it can be scary. Sometimes it's, it's much, it feels safer to just bury your head in the sand and pretend you don't know, even if you have an inkling, but to embrace not negative, but even just different than what you thought. And then to still be able to move forward to do what needs to be done on behalf of your team and on behalf of the public. That takes a lot of courage. How, how would you encourage leaders to, to really stand up for that? So I think there's two ways. One, I mean, even for us as a company and internally, we've really become a fan of Brene Brown's or because she talks a lot about vulnerability <laughs> and courage um, in her Dare to Lead book. But um, it really truly is that, right? It's put, it's being willing to be vulnerable and to have the courage to do something differently, but to, it's humbling. You have to admit that you don't know. 
You have to admit that what you've been doing up to now is not working. That's something that everyone has to admit, I think, as a result of this pandemic. Whatever we were doing up to now has been maybe great, but at the same time, it hasn't worked because we're seeing the that exposure. We're seeing the cracks in everything that we're doing, both personally and professionally, come to light. So let's be honest with ourselves. Whatever we were doing in the past and whatever we've been doing, it's not working optimally the way we'd like it to work. And so as individuals and as leaders, when we can admit that personally, which is a very humbling experience that you don't know, you don't like what it hasn't been working. What do you mean? <laughs> like look at all the effort and all the energy and all the sweat equity we put into something. Um, but when you come to that realization, then there's almost this aha moment of you'll try anything. You'll be open <laughs> to anything. Right. I mean, think about it when you don't have food on the table, you will do anything to get food on the table for your loved ones and for yourself, right? Like mm -hmm. you will, believe it or not, people will commit crimes just to put food on the table. That's being real, right? So right. it's amazing how creative and how open all of a sudden we are to something, right? So for any of us that would say, oh, we'd never steal, let's be realistic. If you do not have the basics, right? Food, shelter, <laughs> food, you will uh -huh. steal. I don't care what anyone says, like that is right. just, that's the animal instinct in all of us as human beings. Let's just be real about that, right? So when you're real about how open you can become, um, and I think one has to be, not resist it. And that's, like I said, it's a very humbling because you have to set your ego aside to say like, I don't know. And the problem is that as a society, we've said that, that you can't say you don't know, right? Like when our kids say, I don't know, mom. Or no, you roll your right? eyes. You get all angry, right? <laughs> Whatever. Like we've taught people to say to think that they can't say I don't know. But I believe me, I think the times when we do say I don't know, that gives us an opportunity to figure it out. That gives us an opportunity to change. That gives us an opportunity to question things. And now we're open to things we never consider. Now we're willing to hear things we didn't think we wanted to hear, and. It and believe it or not, it actually elevates every single person's leadership on a whole nother level. Can you I mean, tell one thing me I've been really impressed by people is their growth mindset throughout the pandemic, right? That's a time where people want to go inward, don't want to learn things, don't want but you literally see people as growth mindset or fixed mindset. There's two camps mm -hmm. and you're literally seeing which direction people flock to, right? And I think that's what we have to acknowledge. Can you tell me about a time where during this pandemic, even you've seen from your client, that kind of embracing of the growth mindset where they heard something they maybe weren't expecting and they use that as an opportunity to get creative in the solution. I think all of our clients, and I say that sincerely because all of them have had to have that grit <laughs> to be like, how do I move forward? And, and, and for a lot of them, right, their funding was postponed or, they weren't necessarily with the change in administration. They were waiting for um, to figure out whether or not their funding was still concrete for that year or not, or was it going to be delayed? Right. And so there was almost this like waiting period of that's very, and that's, that drives a lot of anxiety and stress in and of itself because you're waiting for an answer, right? You're like waiting right. for someone to give <laughs> you direction. And I think that's why a lot of people right now are really stressed and anxious is we're waiting for things, but when people started to realize, including our clients and ourselves, that don't wait, don't wait for someone else to give you that answer. Like, 
What do you have to work with? What have you got? What can you make sense of? What isn't working? Just in existence of what you have, that actually calmed a lot of fears that created less anxiety. There was more clarity. And I think the partnership that we have with our clients across all the sectors are individuals that are open to working with different people. Just because you're in academia doesn't mean you don't work with individuals from nonprofits. Just because you're in nonprofits doesn't mean you don't work with government. Just because you're in government doesn't mean that you don't work at the private sector or business. Like our clients very much relied upon this collaboration and, and cross-sector mindset and learning from each other and even partnering with us. I think for um, a lot of our clients, they've acknowledged that we aren't just an evaluator who just exposes things and shows you what's right and what's wrong and what needs improvement, but use us as your partner to really scale, to grow. And in a lot of cases, like when we come across different funding opportunities, because we as a company are growing and, and you know, trying to scale too, we're able to share that with our clients and be able to help them and collaborate, right? And that's where we see ourselves as an invested partner. Don't look at us as, oh, you're just an evaluator that comes in and comes out right? and is only there for a moment. A lot of our clients, we've had years and years and years, and we're working together to build that business model to help them accomplish their dreams and goals. And it varies depending on what sector you're referring to, but Oftentimes, the parties and the partners we bring together are coming from different sectors and have different access to different resources. And that's really the power of the creativity and kind of like growth mindset as well as like right brain thinking is we're putting more emphasis on right brain thinking than we ever have because that's our innovation. That's our creativity. And we've become a very analytical society. And so it's like, how do you develop whole brain thinking where it's like left <laughs> and right side, right? But um, I think going back you know, to what you said is our clients have been really good about the, the mental capacity, the mental coaching and the mental strengthening of that muscle. And our success for everyone is based on our mental state, right? And I think that's also what's hard right now during the pandemic is that's also mental health is also what's at risk, right? Because people are under so much pressure and it's trying to find that space. Um, but I really appreciate the evolution we've had with our clients. I mean, literally all of us are going through this. Oh my God, where's the next resource coming from? <laughs> like, how are we going to add this? Oh my God, this resource left. What am I going to do? Like everybody is literally experiencing and facing that. And like I said, I think it's being real with oneself to be like, no one is an exception here. Like no one, it doesn't matter what <laughs> sector. So for all intensive purposes where, you know, I think different sectors like to think they're so different from each other. Um, working across all of them and coming from different sectors myself. No, we're not. We're all the, we're actually all the same. <laughs> um, we're just hoping someone has a better answer and somebody has a better approach. And some, some do. But it's that collaboration that um, is really going to make the difference because we're sharing resources, we're sharing tips, and we're helping each other to do that. So if the rising tide lifts all ships, the tide is data? I think the tide is data, but I also think it's the mindset around data. And it's around, and it's, it's focusing on the framework and the process by which you're implementing data and you're evaluating that data and that information. Because without that, you're just going to be in the ocean swimming around and you're just going to be like, 
why did I spend all this money and devote all these resources? Yeah, you need an actual boat and you need a direction, right? You need to know, (laughs) am I going that direction or that direction and which island or which piece of land am I trying to get to? Because there's multiple options, right? But it's getting clarity around which option you're going to try or do first, refine over time, maybe change direction, but at least people just need something they need to know what to follow. They need to know where to go. And that's the hardest part right now about this pandemic and about leadership, um, including our federal government and our local government as well, as everybody is trying to figure out what direction we move in. And we've deployed a lot of resources, a lot of money, right? We've infused a lot of public funds. And the next thing that follows is, okay, what happened to those resources? What did those resources actually accomplish and do? And that's really critical because public confidence is going to rely upon that ability to demonstrate what was actually accomplished with those resources and what, and what was done and what's, what, what things are missing. Right. And that's a lot of pressure, but that's literally what's going to come is everyone knows how much money we've um, infused into uh, companies, the community, right, fr- through our federal government, local government. And now we're also going to wonder, okay, what is the result of all this money that we've infused in different organizations over this pandemic period? And I think it's all of our responsibility to answer that question by opening up kind of like data and looking to see and being open that if we know right now that some area or some individual or some party or some some resource was not deployed properly we have the chance to fix that now versus five years from now that's not don't wait for the next funding cycle just get it done yeah and that's hard too because everyone's also like at capacity (laughs) like everyone's (laughs) like don't give me more to do like i can't take in anymore i think You know, I was joking uh, today. I think everyone's running for the holidays right now because (laughs) everyone's like, this year has been hard and um, everyone just wants that downtime. We're like, can we get a break here? (laughs) Like everyone's like, can we get a break here? Well, that's why they would grab you guys as, as those, those uh, resource expanders and to, to bring in the right help the first time, as opposed to trying to just slam something together before New Year's Eve. So exactly. So it was great talking with you, Tracy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Ashley, for being host today. And hopefully the information <laughs> I shared is helpful. Happy to answer, you know, questions. And it's it's always great to be a guest on your own podcast once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to do this again sometime, but uh, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Ashley. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? 
<laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.